Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right. Good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So I'm excited tonight. And if anybody's been listening to this podcast for a long time now or following this on social media, I'm always excited. That's why I keep doing podcasts. So actually, I got a reminder that tomorrow, uh, as I'm recording this live tonight over Facebook, uh, tomorrow will be 2016 was when I released the very first episode, Effective Tomorrow. We're recording this today on September 3rd, 2020. So it's just a funny little recollection. Like I'm, I'm connecting up with an awesome new author for you guys tonight. Uh, so let's get right into it because I don't want to waste any time. I want to enjoy some stories with this gentleman. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I am connecting up with a very, very inspiring storyteller here. Uh, his new book just came out in July, and he's a retired Green Beret. Uh, it's a story of a U.S. Special Forces soldier. He was medically retired uh, after stepping on an, an IED. We've heard this time and time again through, I, I can't tell you how many books I've read slash listened to. We'll get into that, by the way, too. Uh, listening to books on Audible does count, people. <laughs> and uh, But he's got an incredible story to share about the return to active duty and combat and his background is very diversified because I will admit I have not finished his book yet because I'm still digging through it. I'm, I just made the chapter five today. And this guy's worn many hats in, in military. Most guys like just go through one chapter. He's bounced them around. Uh, I got him live on the feed here. So without further ado, uh, Ryan Hendrickson, author of Tip of the Spear. Welcome, sir. Welcome to podcast world. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. This yeah, is man. awesome. So right before we hit record today, you were like, I'm still not used to traffic uh, and I'm still getting used to like, so how long have you been back now? Uh, I've been home from Afghanistan about seven days and today was, <laughs> today was my first trip into town. Um, yeah, all kinds of pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait, with, with, with our, uh, I mean, I get, by the way, I have no, I have no editing here on this show. So would you say, are you pissed up, pissed off with everything that you and your brothers and sisters have been protecting and how fucked up our society is right now? Would that sum it up or something different? <laughs> uh, so it, it's definitely, uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, everything we were hearing about what was going on in Afghanistan, we only get the, uh, the major news, um, highlights mm -hmm. and i think everybody here knows what the main highlights were and yeah. so i was fully expecting to be flying over the united states and it's burning down okay. but that's not that's not the case but i i guess um my my whole thing is it is just i mean in afghanistan life is simple i love it you know people say thank you for your service and anything like that and i'm like i I really think you need to say that to my wife because being back home, besides getting to be with my wife again, uh, it sucks. The traffic <laughs> and you got to pay your own bills and you got to worry. Like you don't just go to the chow hall anymore. You're actually, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, it's an eye opener. And then today there's just so many people, which I guess is a normal day in our town, mm. but to me it's just a little overwhelming. So it's nice to be back home, got a beer, and I'm doing a great show, so. 
This is this is good now. Well, I, I'm honored to have you, man. I didn't realize it was like seven days, and I mean, just to just to preface this for the listeners and the watchers in the Facebook world, like I literally, I think I was it in a GoRuck group. I think it was in a GoRuck group. Your buddy shared your book and information, and I think it was in the, the GoRuck Facebook group because I've GoRucked, and I was like, dude, I I've just been jonesing on former military books. I don't care if you're Green Beret. I don't care if you're uh, other other forms of special forces. Uh, obviously, everybody's all about SEALs. But it's just been like, man, I've been just crushing books lately this year because there's so much, it seems like negative energy out there. I mm-hmm. love, when I get overwhelmed with a lot of negative crap, I like to then re-immerse myself in positive, inspirational stories. And that's what I get out of content uh, with books like yours, for example. So uh, thank you for, by the way, of taking the trials and tribulations of trying to figure out what it takes to write a freaking book. Cause I'm in editing on mine right now. <laughs> and actually let's pause on that. What's worse, writing it or editing it? Cause I'm going with editing right now. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. So I, it didn't actually turn out. It, it didn't start off as a book. It started off, um, you know, I was going through, I was going through some, you know, some stuff mm-hmm. and um, I didn't really want to see a counselor or anything like that because it was just, I had tried once before and I felt very numbered. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk in and he's going down the list of. Oh, in the counseling. Like, oh, I'm just yeah. a number on the checkbook. Or, yeah. Okay. Yep. Filling in the blanks, checking the marks and well, what do you want to be prescribed? And nothing. I want to, I want to talk to you, dude. Yeah. And so um, I, I quit with that, but I was talking to our chaplain quite a bit. And um, one of my biggest one of my biggest issues that I had was you and all your buddies, you guys can get together, um, go have a beer and just, and just talk about life and issues and everything like that. And it feels good. You get it off your shoulders, but then you all go your separate ways mm. and you go home and you're worried about like stupid crap. Like me today, I have to fuel my truck up. Nobody does that for me anymore. Hmm. This is very awkward, you know, stuff like that. And it's all dead air. Everything you just talked about is back as an issue again because nothing was tangible. It it was just it was just talked about, and then people went about their lives. And so um, our chaplain he said, "Well, have you ever thought about writing?" I was like, "Have you ever thought about how dumb that sounds?" I barely <laughs> like I majored in English in the third grade, but that's really it. Right. And so, <laughs> but. It was like 2017 and I just started writing. Um, it was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty traumatic time for me. And I was in Afghanistan. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, had, I, uh, I went to Afghanistan in 2010 and 12. And then I took a break and we were doing South Central America. And then I went back 16, 17, 18, 19. And I just got home a couple days ago for 20 so, but 17, it was like, I was starting to deal with a lot of stuff from before. All the and so ago. I, yeah. yeah, I just opened up my laptop and started typing and it just, it just flew. And it was one page went to five to 50 to, you know, and so it actually didn't start off as a book. It started off as therapy, like journaling, which, which turned into a book because after, you know, um, I had a couple of really close friends of mine and they're like, dude, I deal with the same stuff. 
you got to get this out. Same thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, the just very, very overwhelming same message. Yeah. And so got a hold of uh, Mike Yorkie, who is editor, and yeah, page by page, month by month, sentence by sentence. And then the DOD had to do their review. Oh, Ooh. that's true. That's true. Because, like, you got to declassify your content, don't you? Yep. Okay. That's, that's yeah. Wild. It, it's funny because I'm like, like, obviously, I, I never served uh, in the military, but part of my backstory is that's why fires everything is. I served as a, it's actually kind of funny. I mean, just to try and connect with you, because I, I feel like I barely can, but in some of your early chapters in the book, you reference you being from Redding, California. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally in the middle of editing a chapter right now. Uh, named after a guy I served with because uh, my rookie year, I, I served as a hotshot wildland firefighter with the U.S. Forest Service. So uh, that was our, in wildland firefighting, that was the elite branch of wildland firefighting that we never called it that. It was just like, it wasn't really heavily publicized except when, you know, when the world went to shit and everything was on fire, they sent us in. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but one of the guys I had served with in my rookie year, 2010, he he didn't return for our Snooky year, which is there's a whole chapter on that rookie to Snooky. But anyway, uh, his name is Dalton, and he was from Redding, California. And unfortunately, he he was like he was the young kid. Like I, I was called the old guy on the crew because as a rookie, I was already 31. And they were like, "Yeah, what the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> there is, you know, it's like military. It's like there is like 18 to 24, and and uh, I, I was the first guy to start getting grays. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah, like, it sounds, it sounds familiar. I went I went through. Uh, the Q course at 29. Yeah. That's when and, you, that's when you, uh, made that transition with what the whole air force combining with the, uh, army to try and get more people over. Right. Yes. Well, over man career fields in the air force, they were doing a direct transfer over to the army if you wanted to. And I was going through, um, a very big change in my life, a divorce. Yeah. And I just, you I escape. Yeah. I went to the recruiter and, <laughs> went infantry and just went to my house and locked the door and yep. shut the lights That's off. You're, and in, uh, you're in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm not done with the book yet, but I'm like, all right, like this stuff is fresh. It's hot right now in my head. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know all about the hot shots though, because when I had left the Navy in uh, April of 2001, I was trying to get on the crew, but they had like a ungodly amount of wait time for jump school. Oh, wait, see, were you, uh, wait, who had wait time? The, far, uh, the Forest where, Service. Oh, that was with the smoke jumper program then. So you were yeah. trying to get, you were trying to get on the smoke jumpers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of people, yeah. when I tell them I was a hotshot, they're like, oh yeah, so you did skydiving. And I'm like, no, those are smoke jumpers. There was two type one incident response, incident command crews that you either were a smoke jumper or hotshots. Hotshots hiked up, smoke jumpers skydived in. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was saying, knowing you, so the way, yeah, I could totally see you being a smoke jumper guy. <laughs> well, the way the way that I thought it was was you were a hot shot until you got the slot for jump school, which oh, then you would have moved moved over to smoke jumping. That's what I thought it was. But. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, if you did the research, it's funny because we only had a forty five pound pack test, which was standard for all a while in firefighting to get your red card uh, to be you know live assignment, and then. I looked at the smoke jumping program too, by the way, because I was an adrenaline junkie and it was like like 90 to 110 pound pack test or whatever. I was like, why the hell? And I didn't realize, okay, you got, all your, you got all your fire gear. Oh, and you got to pack your shoot out. So it's like, and, and your jumpsuit and everything else, you know, your fire resistant material jumpsuit. I was like, 
damn, it's like a double pack test. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it's funny because years later you ended up jumping. Yeah. And I absolutely am happy that I was never a smoke jumper because I hate heights. I did not know that. Yeah. You, but I'm you were a, you, to this day. You, you were a, well, obviously through that program, you were a, a knee knocker. I, I think you were calling yourself or something like that. You were hoping that people didn't see your legs shake. <laughs> oh man. I puke. I everything. I mean, the minute that ramp opened up, I was either throwing up or, and it's funny too, cause I'm a jump master. I don't know how I did that, but I did. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. Well, the good yeah. thing is, I guess you could connect with people and and help them, I guess, relate to your own concerns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's called fear to hide. I mean, once once I was under a canopy, I was fine. It was the fact that you were asking me to like. There's nothing wrong with this airplane. Mm -hmm. You want me to do what? Yeah. Why don't you just land? It's easy. <laughs> Well, obviously you got over that. Well, you didn't get completely over that, but eventually professionally you had to get over that or else. It just, it just got worse. I would just tell people, whoever was the jumper behind me, I just tell them to keep pushing. Yeah. Like just put your hand in the back of my pack and just push me off the ramp. Once I'm under canopy, I'll be fine. But I'd get wobbly knees and oh yeah. <laughs> See, I guess I should have been a smoke jumper then because I have no fear of that. Like I, I first time I went skydiving was back in, 2006, 2007. And yeah. I mean, I was like, all right, I, there was no knee knock. Actually, I, the guy told me he was strapped to my back. He's like, all right, you're bigger than me. So you got to throw us out. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's my first time jumping, bro. I was like, you're the, you're like the son-in-law of the Guinness record holder of jumping. Cause like the father of his wife was the like former military. He had all <laughs> these jumps under his belt. So I was like, yeah, uh, I'm here to learn from you, man. He's like, yeah. But you're like six four, and I'm like five eight. So he's like, roll out. <laughs> so yeah, I'll even hanging that. off, even hanging off a ramp as a as a uh, jump master, or hanging out the door as a jump master. Still, I just, oh man, I hate heights. There is just wild. something about it. All right, all right. I mean, so you see, so basically, as weird as this is, like, okay, you would rather get shot at on the ground than jump out of an airplane, maybe. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Easy, <laughs> easy day. <laughs> Which is funny because I got I got I got military guys, uh, buddies of mine, former military or retired, and they were like, when they when they found out years ago when I decided to leave my, I went I went from farm kid to corporate guy to like realizing money isn't everything and gave it all up and went went and fought fires for a couple of years. I just needed to escape and like you're nice. gonna go do what? <laughs> they're like, yeah. Like, I'd rather get shot at. He's, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's just like dude, you're going to go fight, fight mother nature and like stare down walls of fire. He's like, I'd rather kill the guy trying to shoot me. He's like, you're just trying to beat something that's virtually not beatable. And I was like, yeah, I never thought about it that way, but too late now. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, where I, um, where I grew up in Oregon though, it's, um, cause I was, I was born in, uh, in Reading. Yep. Well, actually a little town called Fall River Mills. Okay. We lived in Reading for a couple of years, but I, I claim um, a little little logging town in Oregon. It's called Lowell, Oregon. Yep. Um, but yeah, so can I claim you, Oregon as my- Shasta from there? From, from that where, area. From Lowell? Yeah. No, no, no you can't Shasta's see Shasta totally from there. Okay. Yeah, you, you start seeing Shasta around, like, I'd probably say Medford. Okay. 
Yeah. We, we never got, we never got, because sta- a hotshot crew, you're shipped where all the big shit is. So uh, we got mm-hmm. shipped all over, but I never got to actually fight a fire in Oregon. Uh, but we were, uh, one year we were assigned uh, in Shasta, at Mount Shasta. So it was, which is funny because, quick segue, the girl that I briefly got to hang out with and have a good time with uh, that I learned about wildland firefighting from, because I'm an East Coaster, and I was like, She's like, oh, she's fr- she was from Nevada, and she was moving home to go be a hotshot uh, to help yeah. pay for massage therapy school because that's what she's always wanted to do. And I was like, and her name was Shasta. And I was like, <laughs> are you named after a mountain? And she's like, yeah, there is a Mount Shasta in California. And I was like, she's like, oh, by the way, my younger sister's name is Denali. <laughs> I was like, your parents are straight up hippies. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, Fall River Mills is a small, small town right off of Mount Shasta. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah, I know. Obviously, I know the logging history up there because uh, one of the yeah one of the uh, books that I bought as I was trying to make the decision to get into fire was called. I'm turning around here. The Year of the Fires, which is the entire. It's based in 1910 when literally half of our country was on fire, and that's when wildland firefighting was birthed. It was created, and most of the intensity was in logging areas because a lot of the um, freight trains or the trains trying to move wood in and out, you know, from the logging operations, the climate was so dry. Uh, the sparks from the rails and the wheels of the rail cars would set the forest on fire. <laughs> and wow. Then, so the very first wildland firefighters were, they needed manpower to try and mitigate this. So they mm-hmm. just, well, there's here's entire teams of loggers. So they can't, they can't cut trees because everything's on fire. So let's, let's pay them and give them some shovels and shit and, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of history in the, in the Northwest uh, of, of wildfire and where it came from and, and a lot of connections to the logging community. Cause I know that you mentioned that in your book when like your dad, before he became a pastor was um, trying to get into logging more, but then I guess there was a whole shakeup with that because of some kind of spotted owl or something like that. Right? Yeah. So yeah, he, um, he, he owned, he owned a pretty big logging company and yeah. Yeah, he had a fleet of trucks and everything, and then Spotted Owl came in and kind of... Well. Endang- endangered species, so... Yep. All right, which is crazy. That's the whole... Again, ladies and gentlemen, like, every these little things I'm telling you, this is just the first four or five chapters. So, I mean, you got... I still got, what, six, seven hours left, according to Audible, to complete the rest of the book, <laughs> so... Um, hold, hold on a second. I got to do this from fun because I have all the technology here. So, this was me in 2010. <laughs> yeah, I, st- I saw that on your page. Yeah. So, and actually, since I'm screen sharing, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for people listening to this, make sure you check him out at ryanmhendrickson.com. Uh, that's his uh, his uh, site that he's uh, growing Tip of the Spear from. And it, it, obviously, the book is on Amazon. I've already bought it, and I've already ordered it in physical and Audible, obviously, since I'm listening to Audible. But I always like to try and plug as much as I can on my show. So uh, I'm loving the book, dude. But obviously, back to you. So, Okay. Book writing, torture, cons- you know, counseling, therapy, which I agree. It's funny. I waited. Let's see, I fought fire 2010, 2011. So I, I wasn't a career risk taker like you spent your whole career doing this. Uh, I only did it for two years and decided it wasn't for me. And I, I, was, I knew I was capable of or just meant to do something different, nothing more. Um, mm-hmm. But it took me 10 years later now. This is 10 years later of my rookie year, 2020 to try to figure out, oh, I think I need to write a book. <laughs> so yeah. at least you started memoiring and journaling to, to work through some of your shit. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, can we talk a little bit about that? Because it's like, it's like 
Okay, obviously it turned into a book, but back when you were doing this, you didn't like working in counseling. You felt like you were just a, a, a checkbox, a number on their on their assembly line of counselings, right? So yeah, was the first part of journaling sounded like it was a hell of a struggle. I mean, it's can't be easy. So so it kind of I I guess kind of the uh, place that I was at when I actually opened up my keyboard and um, or my laptop and started typing was it, it was weird because when I went back and kind of read what I had wrote I I couldn't believe like I was pouring that kind of stuff out and I was jumping all over the place um, from what I had dealt with with just um, incidents in Afghanistan to then I would wake up at night and oh man let, it, it was like my body was forcing out all this shit that bothered me yeah. all the way back from when I was a kid to to you name it. And I would just type it and type it and type it and type it. And, and that's kind of, it wasn't until the very end um, when I kind of put it in the order that it is in right now for the book. And then Mike Yorkie came in and helped me um, edit the book. So it didn't, well, it wasn't a book at the time. He was the one that convinced me to make it a book. Um, but he helped me edit it. So it didn't look like a three-year-old had, you know, too much milk on the rocks or something. Well, so he's actually an author, right? I've heard his name before. Um, mm -hmm. He is, yeah. I'm going I'm to look him up. I, I know for a fact. So he, then he decided that he heard that you were writing this story and he's like, I got to help this guy or did you just connect to him to somebody else? So I connected with him through an author. Her name is Lynn Vincent. Okay. Yeah, she wrote um, Dog Company, um, the... Uh, uh, USS Indianapolis worst sea disaster, you know, um, she wrote quite a few books, but what had happened was, so after I had wrote everything out and then I kind of laid it out more in the structure that it is today for the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, it it's kind of like, it's laid out that way because that's the way my mind works. Yeah. It jumps, it jumps everywhere. But I had a couple friends that had read it you know, that, that I trust and they're like, dude, you, you need someone to actually like Edited. look at this. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I fell for a couple of those online scams at first. Uh, yeah. and, How much money did you lose? Yeah. Can I ask? Cause I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've spent some. <laughs> 3,500. Uh, 3, okay. So, oh, you beat me. I had three grand. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a year yeah, ago. Got, that was a year ago. So yeah. Yeah. I got taken for 3,500 by a, uh, Two different people, but it, you know, it is what it is. So finally, my buddy is like, have you ever just looked at military books and tried to find the author and emailed them? I was yeah. like, um, no. While you're, <laughs> so while you're I did. That, I'm going to give him a shout out. This is him, right? Yeah, that's Mike Yorkie. There we yep. go. MikeYorkie.com. So he's a co-author too of a lot of books. Okay. Yeah. Yep. This, this guy sounds experienced. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, he is one of a kind. I'll get, I'll actually get to what he did for me that you'll never see today oh, at all. Okay. But, um, but so finally I just started, I, I just started type or, um, emailing authors in this. I had a couple people respond back to me, but the one, one person responded back and she, it was a legitimate response. Okay. It wasn't a, it wasn't you know, or automated. Yeah. And, and so I said, Hey, I got this story 
was curious if you, you could take a look at it and tell me what you think. And so she actually then turned around and looked me up to make sure that I was who I said I was. And she was like, oh, hey, what's, what's going on? Congratulations on the Silver Star, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, how do you know all that? So she said, I, you know, I got my sources too. But she said, I'm going to be blunt with you. She just says that. She's like, oh, I got my sources. Okay. <laughs> She's awesome. I, I, love, I love this lady. But she said, I'm going to be straight with you. I don't have the time to look at your book. But what I do have is a guy that um, he... He could he could take a he could take some time. He'll look at it, um, and he's experienced. He's been in the business a long time, and this this guy's legit. Okay. So she sends me uh, Mike Yorkie's contact information, and uh, he responds. And he's like, "Yeah, hey, you got a lot going on, but um, you know, I'll get I'll, I'll give it a look over when I can, and um, and I'll let you I'll, I'll let you know." So to me, I was thinking that was a nice way of saying, hey, man, I, thanks, but th- here's 500 pages of just shit. You got brush you off? Yeah, I got a life. Yeah. So about two days later, he gets back a hold of me. He said, hey, we, we need to talk. Okay. And so, got, um, so we scheduled an interview, and he's like, hey, you, you got a book here. You got something here. I mean, we need to edit it. We need to get it you know, again, to where it doesn't sound like, you know, uh, I wrote it at the tavern freaking on a, on a seven day bender. But, um, but he's like, we, we can do something with this. You got a hell of a story. And I was like, Hey, I, I don't have any money or nothing like that. And he's like, you know what? Um, I believe God is pointing me in this direction. I believe he led me to you for a reason. He's like, I'll take it on. And we'll just see what happens. Wow. And if it pan, he said, if it pans out, then then great. And if it doesn't, this is a hell of a story, and it's and and it's been a pleasure uh, working with you. So then he got me in touch with a guy named Greg Johnson, who's with um, World uh, Literary Service as an agent. Are they are they a and publisher? So, oh, he's an agency, not a publisher. Okay. Yeah, and so. Both Greg and Mike went to the University of Oregon, and anybody who knows me, I'm a duck 100%. Like, there's, um, yeah, a duck and a Seahawk. Oh, really? Well, oh, I, I, you're, you're definitely a Northwest guy because I'll screen share again. I mean, I, on your Facebook profile photo and obviously on your website about the author, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's the Seahawks flag. And I was like, okay, hardcore Northwestern here, man. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was in that was in the Wardak province. Um, but um, Greg Johnson, uh, he, him, and Mike, they used to work uh, with uh, the uh, old Christian network, the Focus on the Family. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard uh, about those. They they work with a lot of authors. Yeah, yeah, they they did that together for a long time. Well, then Greg Johnson says, "Hey, if this is good for Mike." then this is good for me. And they were like, we hope this pans out, but we're going to do this. We're going to do this, no money. And we'll just, we'll see what happens. And hopefully it works out because great. But if it doesn't, you got a great story. Well, it's so, interesting. Cause since we're talking about authoring and all this stuff that um, I've talked to a lot of people and now running a podcast now for over four years, I've had lots of authors. I've had 
uh, book editors. I didn't even know what a ghostwriter was until a couple of years. It was ghostwriters, <laughs> you know, right? So that's like, number what? one person that got me. <laughs> right? I was like, I'm sorry, you're a ghost? What? <laughs> so, I've learned a lot, which is funny because actually my editor now is somebody that I've had on my podcast show twice, and she's a ball buster like me. And I got to do a shout out to Hillary Jostrom because like she's um, she she she's such an amazing woman. She suffers from this uh, a, a lifelong of inflammatory illness and diseases, and she started her own business called Sick Biz. So she helps people who live with lifelong illnesses inspire them and work with them so they can start their own businesses so they can do something with their lives if they are stuck at home or whatever. Just amazing woman. And so I was like, after I wasted the three grand, <laughs> then I reached out to her this year, you know, because even though I, I like to think that I'm smart, but, you know, I, I still have uh, dumbass moves and that was one of them. And she was like, I'm sorry, you did what? You joined a, an author group that costs you money and you still haven't put the book out yet? I was like, well, part of their branding is they help you get it out fast. And she, she, she's like, <laughs> she's like, well, that's bullshit. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, because you're still the end cause problem. She's like, they can have the best program ever, but if they don't have somebody pushing you, she's like, you, your own roadblocks that you put up will hold you back. So I don't know if you experienced <laughs> some of that too, but I was like, oh shit, you got me on that one. And, yeah. And uh, so finally I was just like, and this was like right at the beginning of COVID. And I was like, you know, I got to put some skin in the game. This book was supposed to be out a year ago. Um, Cause just so you understand, my book is going to be about the transformation from experiencing hotshots and the crazy things I've learned 10 years since, but also during that time. But I'm, I'm donating 100% of the proceeds of the book to fallen firefighters and all of that. So like, because I learned, that's our point here. Not every author becomes like a very successful, rich person, right? It's like, you don't, no. you don't write a book to make money and people are like, then why do you nope. do it? So how would you want to answer that question? <laughs> I, I did it because um, I actually wanted to know what it was like to put myself out there, and nice. it wasn't it wasn't just the fact that I was writing a book, but I felt I, I mean you know I don't want to I don't want to get too like religious or anything, but I felt kind of kind of this calling because see we gotta in, in my opinion just just my opinion alone we have an issue with victimization mm -hmm. in America. Um, I see it everywhere. Everyone's a victim. I can't because of this. I can't because I grew up like this. I can't because this is hand, this isn't hand. And we have entitlement. I am owed this. Uh, I am, so I deserve. And we have all of this. And my, and basically in the book, it details out my, my falling into the victimization mindset into that pit barely barely climbing myself out of the pit taking control of my life again owning my circumstances it's not because you know i grew up dirt poor or it's not because you know i stepped on an ied or any of the number of things that happened those are all those are all just speed bumps in life but um the biggest reason why, because you don't, you do, like making money. I, I'm not Stephen King. Congratulations for him, but that's just that's that's not me. That guy's I a diamond in the, the rough, man. I mean, he just he, he's a genius in what he what he's done. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't write the book to make money at all because that's not even like it, it, it's almost impossible, right. and so that's fine. But I wrote the book because I feel that I have a message that can definitely help or 
it could it, it could maybe broaden some horizons. And so my dad said it to me best when I was in the hospital. So I'm 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 laying there. I finally make it to San Antonio, and I'm in the hospital. I'm all banged up and everything. And this is uh, is this last year or is this? No, 2010, when I stepped on the IED. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure, like, so how many times you've been in and out of the hospital, so I just, I got to get a date on it, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, 20, 29 surgeries now, but, <laughs> but, so I'm in the hospital right after, you know, well, not right after, but it took them a while to get me back to the States, because I, I couldn't stabilize, but um, I'm laying there, and he, and he, and he said, you know what, you're a lucky man, it's like, Okay, I've heard that a lot. Should be dead, but I'm lucky. He goes, no, 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 that's not. He's like, you've been, you've been given an opportunity that most men would would kill for. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you've been given a second chance. It's like, okay. He goes, no, I don't, I don't think you understand what I mean. He said, you've been given a second chance at life. He said, you can do whatever you want. He said. But the way that I look at it, you got, you got two courses of action. Number one is you can um, accept what has happened to you, become your injury, let your injury own you, let your injury control you. You will always be Ryan Hendrickson who stepped on an IED. You will always be that guy that's held back by this traumatic you know, incident that happened in Afghanistan, you will always be that man. And he's like, and no one will blame me for it. There's plenty of wounded guys out there running around right now that they've become their injury. Or you can use this situation, you can use this injury and this incident in life to make yourself a better man. You can use it to make you stronger, uh, to to, to be that man that people look up to, that you actually benefit the world, to be that man that actually gives something back and not just takes, or as Damn, we like dad, to call it. Your dad has grown a lot in life, man, from, from what I was reading in your book about his history too, and before he became a pastor and beyond, I'm like, it's trials and tribulations he went there, I'm like, he has grown a lot in life to be able to put, yeah. that, put, on, put that on you like that. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's, and he just, Basically, is you can use this to become a, the, the best man that give that, you know, you benefit and you can give something back to people. And so, I, I mean, I, I have because I, I would I, I would fi- <clears throat> I feel like probably my entire life I've battled with some sort of victimization. Oh, it's because we're poor. Oh, it's because of this or this or this. I can't do this because and you'll see it in my book. I, I blame, you know. Um, people for my issues or the, the any numbers of things. And, and so before um, September 12th, 2010, when I stepped on the IED um, before then, I mean, I was still, I was still a victim. I had successes. I was a green beret, but I was still a victim. I had two failed marriages, um, everybody else's fault, but my own. And I had come to, a point before then that I, I just didn't see my purpose in life. And I was like, what? And I remember um, wanting that battlefield glorious, you know, if I, you know, let's, I'm not really doing anything. So I want to be remembered for something, you know, because I just don't have a purpose anymore. 
And I, I actually definitely think, tell you, you're, you're like, you're, uh, I, I'm a little bit like you, like as far as the action thing, I'm not at your level, but it's like, I agree with you. It's like, there's that, that feeling of always being in the hot zone or in the action. It's, it's a high and it's hard to not do that anymore. Uh, and it's, I could see where you're, I, I, I felt it was just going through the first part of your book. I was like, Oh yeah, I like this guy, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's also can be unhealthy uh, to ride that high all the time. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. But for me, for me, I think like before 2000 or before September 12, 2010, um, I, I wasn't really contributing. I was just kind of, I was just kind of, I guess, existing, you know what I mean? And so I think actually, I mean, people, it's weird to say this, but I think stepping on that, well, I don't think I know, um, stepping on that IED, it actually saved my life um, in a weird way of saying, because I, I was, I was able to refocus and to turn my life around from being the victim to taking control of my life again. Well, actually for the first time in my life, taking control and actually being that man that, that gives back. And I think my book is maybe the best attempt that I have of kind of giving my story but the dangers of, of victimization and you just got to turn on the news today and you'll, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm putting some of that into my book too. The, it's funny. Cause like the tagline for the show is right. We fuel your health, business and lifestyle. But over all these years, I always joke around about it. I'm like, I feel like I should have thrown the word mindset in there because I can't tell you how many times exactly what you're talking about right now. This piece around the power of mindset, impacts so many things and mm-hmm. to your point so yeah i was like i don't I'm, i don't think i have a chapter called like victimology or anything like that but it's like there's something in there around that i can't remember right now but it's just it, it drives me nuts because we're all guilty of it let's be real like i i can't put myself above that either i have struggled through the same thing just like you have been so gracious to share the same thing with us is that that's right people it's called being human but yeah. the biggest problem with today <clears throat> is there's such a high percentage of the populace that nobody's checking them before they wreck themselves, right? And what people don't realize is that, well, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, whatever whatever song that's from, whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. we got to own our shit. And that's what pisses yeah. me off. And that's what, I, I get so angry with myself. And I, I feel like you do too, but you can clarify that. It's like, when I don't check myself fast enough and that I still say something stupid or whatever, it's, you know, even in my own, you know, I I'm, I'm newly married, by the way, so I'm, I'm a year and a half into this. So I waited all these years into my forties to finally get married because I knew how much of a jackass I was. <laughs> so, and she is the perfect partner for me because she calls me on my shit all the time. So, but on that point, it's like, I can't tell you the time I just took my foot in my mouth. And, and it's like, the one thing we could do is hold ourselves accountable. That's right. I, there's that. De- I have a whole chapter on accountability and yeah, there was an old mission statement from a company I used to work for before firefighting. It says, we are all personally and collectively accountable for our results. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was so surprised that year, all these years later, I'm like, damn, I still remember a mission statement from a company I worked for. But it's a great statement and it's a great value statement. And it does apply to what you and I are talking about. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree. One, I mean, there's not even a percentage that I agree with. It's a, a million percent. You have to hold yourself accountable. You are the only person that can control you. 
And that's the problem that that's where people are getting tore up. And, and this is actually some of the stuff that I don't agree with, with, um, I'm not, I'm not going to label anybody, but, um, some of the, some of the things that I don't agree with is fact is like, Hey, we will fix you here, here, here's, here's a prescription oh, or Hey, no, no, no. Pharmaceuticals. Ugh. Yeah. Or, or no, no, it's not your fault. It's because you grew up like this. This isn't your fault. Or no, 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 it's, it's okay. You're just, you're because you're part of this group or you're a part of this group or you grew up like this or you are, it's okay. It's not your fault. It's bullshit. Like accountability. We have lost 100%. We have lost the ability to hold ourselves accountable for our own mistakes. It is always somebody else's fault. It is always, I mean, we're going through it right now and I'm not going to get political on here, but watch the news it's always somebody else's fault well, here's the beauty you it's don't have never to our own right? fault there's a lot of polarization on all sides whether you're looking at um you know all all the racial trauma going on right now the political trauma um and i have friends from all kinds of parties and all kinds of ethnicities as well and and the ones that i could i decide to surround myself with are people from all walks of life political religious blah 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 doesn't matter and these are people who understand what you and I are talking about, right? So it's like, yeah. I'm not going to surround myself with people that are weak-minded. You, Those weak-minded people have a lot of growth. They're welcome to follow those people that I'm connected with, or even me, uh, I'd be honored, to help them pull themselves out of their own shit. And that's mm -hmm. the big part of what we're talking about here is that if, until you realize that you got to work on you. Yep doesn't matter how many counselors or therapists, everybody's got a therapist. I'm like, okay, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that they can't help, but the therapist is a tool. The counselor yes. is a tool. And I have to admit, even, even a pharmaceutical temporarily, temporarily might be a tool in your arsenal, but that's all it is. Use it effectively, use it appropriately, and then graduate beyond it, move beyond it. And that's yep. what frustrates me with, with uh, our amazing service men and service women like yourself is that people who have served on the front lines who are struggling with PTSD. I just recently aired a show, uh, uh, Dr. Reagan Anderson. Um, I forget what division he was in, but he served you know, as a medical doctor, like on the front lines. Um, it's just the stories he has in his book are profound. And mm -hmm. it's like the, the, everybody says, Oh, here, just take a drug. Just take a drug. Just take a drug. I'm like, no. <laughs> okay, maybe temporarily. I'll admit it. I took an antidepressant back in 2006 after a breakup, and I hated it. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Why am I being such a bitch? And I, I called myself on that, and I, that's when I realized there's something wrong here. And I realized, okay, all these years later, I could look back. It's like, okay, well, I wasn't happy with my career. I wasn't happy with a lot of other things going on. That was just a breaking point. And yeah, yeah. It takes our own personal and professional growth, and until you're ready to reflect inward on yourself, you're not gonna you're not gonna realize these things. So I'm like, within three months, I'm like, I hate this shit. My head's all fucked up. I don't want to be on this drug. Get me the hell yep. off of it. And then next thing you know, I'm getting into mountain biking more, and I'm I'm channeling sports. I'm getting I'm two extra. I have I have a career job. I have two extra side hustle jobs. Like I'm bouncing at a bar while working a professional corporate career, and I'm teaching spinning classes. Cause I was like, I just got to keep myself busy while I work on my shit. You know, it's like, I don't want to be on 
any pharmaceuticals. I'm not a fan of it. But the problem is, that's a, that was my story, right? Part of my story. In your guys' case, you guys are stepping on IEDs. You're getting shot. I mean, people are losing limbs. There's a whole other level of trauma there. And it frustrates me when I find out about people that I also know personally that have served who have been on a drug for a long period of time. And the counseling or the therapy doesn't seem to be working. I can't tell mm-hmm. you how many times I hear this over and over again. And all great books like yours, too. It's, it's frustrating. And I'm not even somebody who has served like you. So... How do you well, guys? How do you guys roll with this? So I I agree and I disagree. Okay, um, yeah, please, please. <laughs> so yeah, I I I also after a major life breakup um, did the antidepressant and um, back in like 2004, I think mine was, and it was yeah. So I oh yeah, that affected your Air Force uh, uh, opportunity you were trying to go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um. So I also, so when it, when it comes to the PT, when it comes to PTSD and, and people, the, the one thing that I like to, well, it's not that I like to, but I don't agree with is this, is people say, well, I don't have the same experience as you do. Well, you do. They're just not as sexy as what the news makes going to Afghanistan and this and this and this. Everybody it doesn't matter if you were if you were a soldier on the front lines, or if you um, if you're a firefighter on the front lines, or if you're a first responder to that car accident. Mm, and that's very traumatic. There's a car seat in the back, but there's no kid in it anymore. Oh. And you know, that I'm people get so wrapped around the fact that troops and PTSD. But there's also a lot of victimization with that too. Okay. And and so I do I do understand PTS. I, I 100% do. And I don't I don't want to lose like I don't want people to go on this you know anti Ryan you know crusade because of my beliefs on PTSD. But I believe, in my opinion, um, a lot of PTSD. Uh, there, there is, there, there are people that suffer. They, they do suffer from PTS, 100%. But you don't need to be a soldier to suffer. Another thing, though, is I have seen in my time in the military, there are a lot of people that understand the stigma behind PTS, and they ride that wave. Mm-hmm. They enjoy that publicity. They enjoy having that, that, that nationally stated issue. Yeah. I have PTSD because of, and here's the thing that I've also noticed is PTSD is, it has been around, um, you know, World War One, World War II, whatnot, but when it really started busting onto the scene, and again, 100% my opinion, sure. um, I do not have a medical background and I'm not anything like that. This is just my opinion from what I've seen. But when PTSD started becoming a really big issue is also the same time the victimization started becoming a really big issue. That's, number that's one. Yeah. Number two. So I've been in some crazy firefights. Um, you'll read about one in the last couple chapters where I actually got the silver star. But your brain can only comprehend so much of a traumatic incident. So if it's only Ryan Hendrickson 
and I'm out there and I'm slinging lead with the enemy, I'm only going to remember so much because your brain shuts down and adrenaline takes over. There's a reason why when we train, they get you cold, hungry, tired, wet. And then, and then you train. Why? Because you've depleted all of your, your natural, um, or I'm sorry, you depleted basically yourself down to the very basic of a human being. And then they train you. So you create the muscle memory. Well, the reason for that is, is because when rounds start flying, um, your brain shuts down and you go off of muscle memory. That's the reason why we drill so much. And so you go off of muscle memory, shoot, move, communicate. Um, so one of the things that I've, that, that I've seen is when you get done with a, with a pretty bad firefight and you're sitting back, you can't really figure out what happened. So then you start to talk. Hey man, what did you see on a 12 man ODA? You can get 12 different stories. You can get the old salty guys like, yeah, that wasn't shit. You newbies. Or you can get the kid that thinks it was Normandy. And I, I mentioned Normandy because I have nothing but respect. Like yeah. awesome. But you're going to get a bunch of different stories because your brain can't comprehend what happened. So then also, when did PTSD start, to be, start becoming really, really powerful is when our media and our TV shows sure. and our movies and everything like that. So now all of a sudden, when you're trying to fill those blanks in on what your brain thinks you saw during that incident, you start to fill it with what you have seen before in movies and stuff like that. And so now all of a sudden you're formulating this idea about a situation that took place that your brain just naturally, there's no way you can go that fine into detail. Right. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, there's little, certain little people that can, from your experience, right? Your, your professional experience, like you said, the old salty guy has been through so many cycles of it that he's going to have a different uh, recollection or capturing photographing of what happened versus yeah. uh, the rookie, so to speak, or the, uh, the, uh, the new, yep. the newer recruit. <laughs> yeah. What I would, what I would think is, uh, is a wildfire that we need to get our fire blankets out and get under. You would be like, no, let's dig a fire line right here. This is stupid. Yeah. I've You're never, an idiot. I've under your blanket. Shelter, so that's the, that's the <laughs> last, last thing you should ever worry about doing. <laughs> but um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's, it, it's different. And so in my opinion, PTSD is real. It, it, it definitely is. And there's people that um, suffer from it. You don't have to be a soldier to suffer from it. A lot of traumatic incidents out there. But PTSD is so publicized now that it's almost like it feeds into more PTSD cases. Yeah. And that's, that's just my opinion. I'm not necessarily saying people are faking it. What I'm saying is, is that people maybe have some sort of issues with natural life. Sure. Like, hey, man, I have a really, I, I have issues with um, the Humvee that blew up in front of me. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. This is life. Move on. But now there's actually something, there's a label to it, and it's called PTSD. Yeah. And now I can continue with these issues. And it festers. And I can continue having this as an issue because this is a real thing. Oh, that's got to be what my problem is. It's PTSD. When in a sense, it's just, hey, man, you need to own it. It was life. You were in the military, which you volunteered for. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
and things happen, you know? That's what I got out of this. I mean, and thank you for such a very, very honest and detailed explanation, but thanks to what you kind of prefaced before we went down the PTSD route, we were already talking about us in life, you know, military or not, um, mm -hmm. stepping up in life and owning our shit. And again, mm -hmm. that's going to be easier versus harder, depending on the person, depending on how they grew up, depending on their background, depending on their social influences, <laughs> level of education, yada, yada, yada. Um, and my own personal growth has only gotten better the faster I get at owning my shit. Like, so yep. things, guess what? Like I'm yeah, now in my forties and now I'm married and now I'm trying to grow a business. So I'm trying to grow my own foundation, my own nonprofit now. Not easy. Okay. No. But, <laughs> right. But it's like, I, uh, something I started saying over the past year or so in the podcast world is like, if I'm talking to somebody about weight loss or I'm talking to somebody about, uh, growing their, their, their mental capacity and, and knowledge and experience or whatever, or entrepreneurship, uh, it's like, guys, like, the biggest thing that we have to do is start putting in the reps. So mm -hmm. if you allow yourself to become stuck in that prior premise, right? It's like, okay, well, now you're stuck. So you can only grow so much in this one little place. So the sooner you unglue your feet or, or hands or however you're sitting there stuck and start moving forward, the sooner you yeah. start growing and owning your shit. So yeah. I always say to people like, guys, we're, I'm just at a different place in the timeline than somebody else I'm talking to, uh, or somebody who's advanced way beyond me, multi-author, editor, Hillary who's helping me. I'm like, she's way further down the timeline when it comes <laughs> to book stuff, right? Like you and your, yeah. you and your crew. We're just like, uh, yeah, I'm working with you because I don't have a clue about that. But they put yeah. in reps. So, so that's where I'm, I'm hearing all this tonight. I'm hearing that from you too. It's like, even with PTSD, okay, we're honoring that. We're respecting that. What I heard from you from the very beginning of this was like, okay, what can we do or who can we surround ourselves with to help us move forward from that, grow from that? Because that's something I, yes. I loved from Dr. Reagan Anderson. He's like, listen, me being a doctor, he's a doctor in Colorado today. He, he puts it out there that he still has PTSD. But he said, listen, yep. I don't let my PTSD own me. He said, now granted, he's like, because he, he never talked about CrossFit and, and functional fitness. And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, I'm up every morning at 4.30 in the morning. And he's like, I don't just put in a workout. I beat the shit out of myself. <laughs> and he says, but I need to do that because that helps me, you know, clear my head and prepare for my day because I need to be a great doctor. I need to go help people. And it was just interesting hearing it that way because like other people choose working out for different reasons. But he's like, if I don't do that, if I don't have my morning routine, I cannot overcome and defeat something like PTSD, which is real. And I was like, so that was him. He figured it out. He put in the work and he's got a whole protocol that he follows and he doesn't let him phase him. Uh, and it was interesting. So it's a similar perspective. It's like, okay, let's work on that. What do we got to do? Which each and every person who might be, who really do has it, but okay, what can we do to own our shit and move forward? That's what I got out of you with all that explanation. So <laughs> um, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I do agree. I mean, I, I agree to a point, but I think like post-traumatic or post-traumatic stress disorder, it's, to, to me, it, it boils down to life. Like life happened. You chose the profession and you chose that profession. 
I chose to be a green beret in the time of war. And other people, you know, you're a, you're this or that. It's awful. I was losing some of your connection. So that Ryan? So that. Yeah, you're sounding a little electronica, like yeah, a okay. bad internet connection, that's all. I just want to make sure if I have to pause it or not, we can, so. Do I sound good? Okay, am I, am I still up? Yeah, yeah, you were just breaking up, so I, I, I didn't want to lose your powerful words. <laughs> let's, let's try this. I'm going to see if I can clear your in signal, my and I'm going to do this. I'm going to try shutting your video off because that's frozen. And see if that, because that usually helps a okay. lot. One second, let me stop my video. Let me stop your video. Still hear me okay? All right, shut video off. How are we doing there, Ryan? Yep, doing good. There we go. If you shut video feed down, your bandwidth gets way better in the internet world. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, I got you. Cool. Yeah. Sorry. You, so you were saying you were just you were, you were but, breaking up. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying it's it's like you know the the medical personal you know um, frontline to first responders, to everything. I'm not saying that people haven't seen or part of bad things. Life is full of bad things. It may sound to people, life is not easy. And, uh, and basically, it's like, well, Disorder. I understand the post-traumatic stress, but you kind of, I mean, and, and so, and, and again, I'm not anybody, but I do not, PTSD should be a lifelong um, uh, jail cell. Okay. I disorder means that that this you have is a disorder we're definitely getting a bad connection now let me uh try and pause this and See if we can clean this up, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, Ryan, you're just cutting out a lot. All right, we definitely lost Ryan, ladies and gentlemen, on the live feed. Uh, we're going to try and get them reconnected back up, so just uh, stand by. I mean, this is the trials and tribulations of going live and trying to help somebody get some amazing words and amazing author of life out there. So, uh, again, we'll be airing this uh, in the coming months here in on the Live the Fuel podcast. So, actually, I'll reconnect my video because I'm fine on my end. So, 
Uh, it's just sometimes the internet world can be a little feisty. So anyway, hang tight. And he's coming back on now, so let's see if he gets a uh, stronger connection here. He's almost back on. Well, while he reconnects, I'm going to remind everybody. Let me screen share here for the video feed. This is his website again. It's ryanmhendrickson.com. Again, the book is called Tip of the Spear, the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. And I've been loving tonight's conversation. And his his book, like I said, I I have no problem being honest. We have not gotten all the way through the book yet. And he's been amazing to get him connected. It looks like he's reconnecting up now. Uh, so again, uh, make sure you check out Tip of the Spear. I've already got him. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to my website and you go to livefuel.com, uh, we have the Amazon banner and on the Amazon banner, when you click on that, that actually takes you to my, my little influencer page in the Amazon world. And when you go there, there's a whole book recommendation section. So I've already added his book to the book recommendation section on Amazon. So if you need to find it easier and you want to support the show, absolutely just go click on that and go check out Tip of the Spear. Again, you can get it physically. You can get it in Audible. You can get everything. Uh, I see you back, Ryan. So I'll just uh, – yeah. I'm filling in. <laughs> I'm filling in my job as the host <laughs> and I was nice. sharing your website again and the book again and explain to people like, this is the fun of live podcasting. This is why I don't edit either. I want people to know that the struggle is real <laughs> in the <laughs> internet world. These are, you just came from outside the country. Like get people like these are first world problems. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't care. I just roll with it. So nice, but I want to reiterate what you were saying. So you broke up a lot. And I want to make sure you got those words out because, and by the way, are you still good for a few minutes? Cause I know we're going a little bit long. So. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Awesome. So I love it when, when I have a guest co-host like you and we, we agree to disagree, but you weren't really agreeing to disagree, but you're, you're trying to clarify your points on the PTSD and how, again, you don't have to be in the military to have PTSD. And there's a piece of the victimization and owning it and how to move through this process. So uh, feel free to, you just broke up a lot. That's all. Yeah, it's and, and that's what I mean. You caught you caught the part that I was saying about training for uh, muscle failure and and uh, because your brain can only comprehend so much of a traumatic incident, and, and so you start to fill it in with what you think happened, and you're using a lot of your environment, your the the movies you watch, the TV shows, what your buddies said, whatnot like that. Well, I'm not again. I'm not saying PTSD and PTS. I'm not saying it's not a real thing. It, it definitely is. What I disagree with is that it's a lifestyle. It is not. Um, I believe that that's a prison sentence that each person chooses. And I do know that people have seen some pr um, pretty traumatic stuff. Again, you do not have to be military to have been a part of something that even I couldn't imagine. Um, military is very easy. Some of the things that our first responders deal with, I, I, I couldn't even imagine it. It would blow my mind. Um, but I do believe, um, I do believe that 
having this lifelong disorder because of something that negatively impacted you in life. I, I believe that's a victim mindset. I really do. And I'm not saying that people are not um, those scars of what happened aren't going to be with you for the rest of your life. But like your, like your, uh, your surgeon friend who said, um, he said, Hey, I, I don't let it hold me back. It happened. And I, and it, it can come back and get me if I do this, 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 or this, but I choose not to, because I'm not a victim Mm -hmm. of my circumstance. I take in control of my life. I own my life. And Therefore, I own this situation that happened. A lot of people don't want to own it because there's, number one, we've made it very easy for people to not have to own it anymore. People don't have to take accountability anymore. Somebody will take accountability for you. Mm -hmm. It is very easy. Today is easier probably than ever in the history of the United States for someone just to exist. You don't have to be contributing part of anything. You can just exist. You, can, and, you could use the systems that are in place. So and that and, and and that's the mindset that keeps people into these holes. The 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 PTSD has a hold of you, and you can never break the lock of that. Um, like I said, your your uh, your your buddy who's a surgeon in Colorado, he said it best. Yeah, I had some bad shit happen to me. I owned it. Yeah. I owned it. It's mine, and I'm gonna continue owning it. And it just, it, it really, it hurts me when I see that person and I can only equate it to this. They're in the water and they're, and they're drowning and you throw them the life raft or I'm sorry, the buoy or the rope, or you pull a boat up next to them and they won't get in because no one's there to help them. It's like, dude, I'm, I, I've thrown you this. Well, no, no, you have to come and actually hand it to me. Yeah, now I need you to pull the rope, take me all the way to the boat. Now I need you yep. to lift me and the life uh, preserver up into the boat and then take that yep. preserver off of me. That'd be great. Yep. <laughs> that's like a VIP service, man. You should charge for that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm telling you, that that's what's holding so many people back today. It's not the fact of what happened to you. Bad shit happens, man. You can't, this is life. Anybody who thinks life is easy and it's supposed to be wonderful all the time, they're going to have a miserable life because it's not. Yeah. Well, but own in your life. You got to own it. I like I like the words you said a few minutes ago about, again, it's real, but it's like, do you want it to be a prison sentence? So that, that stuck in my head when you said prison sentence. I'm like, no, I mean, God, I, want, I want to be free. I mean, we're in a country, mm-hmm. you know, of freedoms compared to a lot of other countries, especially communist countries. It's like, we do not understand how good we have it. Uh, again, mm-hmm. no country is perfect. No system is perfect. But like, again, do you really want to allow something to imprison you and, and hold you held, hold you back from just like your father told you, right? This chance for a new life to give back, to motivate and inspire others. I mean, that's kind of what got me into writing the book too is, you know, I didn't go through the level of trauma you did, but it's like, oh my God, look at this level of growth that, I got to go do a career that I forget what the I forget, years ago, I looked at the numbers like less than 1% of the world's population would even think about doing you know, mm. as a hotshot. Right. Cause like there's only, it's only like 105 hotshot crews in the nation. So it's like, it was a very yeah. unique, unique role. Um, but the prison sense was stuck in my head and I love the way you put that, by the way, 
uh, I'll share this with you because you're probably going to listen to his book. He's also uh, very religious uh, with, with what he went through. But Re- Dr. Reagan Anderson, I was telling you about, his, his, his book is called Universal Health Care, A Solution of Healthcare in the Age of Entitlement. So <laughs> there's your keyword, <laughs> entitlement. That's oh, what I was wow. like. I got to share this guy with you because he was, a he, again, being a combat doc. And, I mean, dude, he, he, he served in, um, oh, God, what was that god-awful place in Iraq? I know there's a lot of them. Um, started with an F. Talking about Fallujah? Oh, yeah, he was in Fallujah, dude. So, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised you probably don't even know. But, I mean, then again, there's hundreds of thousands of soldiers over there serving. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, trust me. I mean, again, I, his, his podcast is already live. If you're, if you're, if you're, now that you're stateside and you want to hear some great words from a, a, another great soldier, I mean, he, he's an amazing man. And he's trying to. That's awesome. Yeah. But I was like, I, as soon as you said entitlement, I'm like, oh, I got to at least share a book with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So. Uh, but he had some crazy traumatic stories to share as well. I mean, uh, a lot of you guys do, uh, and and ladies yeah. out there, ladies who serve as well. So it's it's unfortunate, and these are the things that happen in this world and have to happen. But I love the fact you 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 really hit on the prison sentence because it doesn't have to be PTSD either. I tell people the time like, okay, let's go outside that keyword there, right? Like, there's a lot of things that we allow ourselves to be imprisoned by today. Yeah, it's like don't know how easy you got it. <laughs> like just put in a little bit of work and realize what you're capable of doing. And, and I, I don't know. I, yeah, grew, I, I grew mean, up on a farm, man. I shoveled a lot of shit as a kid. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Think, think about the prison sentences. People, um, again, the, this is the only prison in the entire world that you can willingly walk out of. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's crazy, but there's a lot. It's not just PTSD. People have people have imprisoned themselves to prescription drugs. People have imprisoned themselves to uh, f- fast food. Yep. Um, people, Don't get me going on fast food. Imp- oh yeah, Reagan and I went off on that. <laughs> yeah. But also alcoholism. You talk a lot about this alcohol. in your book, right? Yep. Like your, um, your father was imprisoned at one point in time by that before he got into religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of different prison sentences it's not just ptsd ptsd happens to be you know it it's kind of it's a hot topic right now but man there's i mean again it's the only prison that i've that i've ever heard of where you can make a you can willingly choose to leave the prison whenever you want check yourself out whenever you want you just got to put in the work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> key words right there, put in the work, right? Yep. Well, I mean, so let's, let's change the subject because I, I do want to make sure I get your evening back to you. But you're go, you've are you been going through some – obviously, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier in the show. There's 29 surgeries. And I'm a geek about technology and the advancements of what we're doing to help uh, our former military and the people who have served. And I was looking at your Instagram, and you shared a post from a, a young woman who's going through some of the same procedures that you've gone through, obviously oh, regarding yeah. the fact that – Okay, you, 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 sir, unfortunately stepped on an IED. Um, okay, is this like advanced robotic leg stuff? Like, what are we talking about now? What, what's that, what was that thing called? IOE or what is it? So it's a, so it's called an IDEO. 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 Um, okay. It's like a some intra exoskeleton ID. Yeah. Intro dynamic exoskeleton. Ortho something really, really long and nerdy. I have no idea. But 
yeah, Dominique. Yeah, she's she's a stud. She's yeah. uh, she's owning it, and it's it's awesome. I'm happy for her. But yeah, it it basically um, when I stepped on the IED, I remember. Um, well, actually, I, I actually first didn't think I stepped on it because I, you know, I, with what you see in movies and everything like that, it just it didn't look right. You know, I saw the flash of light, and I saw, you know, the the explosion wasn't as loud as I thought it was going to be, but then again, it's cause you know, blew your eardrums out, but oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But, um, <laughs> right. while, you're, I, while you're explaining this, I'm going to share your Instagram because there's the, that, that this was her, her sharing photos to you. Right. So that's her getting fitted. That's the, that's the attachment, I guess. Yep. Part of it. And then, and there, there she is. So yeah. Yeah. I love. So friends. yeah. And, um, and so I'm I'm laying there on the ground and I'm I'm just trying to uh, I I've got some pictures of it on my Facebook, um, but I, I'm trying to figure out what just happened and I keep trying to get up and I can't and I fall back down I'm getting pissed and I, but I can't breathe either because the dust and the ammonia from the uh, homemade explosives and everything like that and so um, finally when the dust starts to clear I see my boot and it's like. I don't know. It's like six inches away from my leg. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I don't remember taking my boot off. And then, um, I looked down again and the dust had cleared some more. And I saw these two like pearly, pearly white, the whitest things I've ever seen sticking out of the bottom of my leg. I was like, bones. Well, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what that is. Well, then the pain started creeping in and I realized like, that's my, my tib and my fib. And my boot over there, that's where the rest of my leg is at. So, <laughs> so basically we, um, we had to hurry up because the Taliban, um, at first they were celebrating on the radio that they hit me. And so they were watching us, but then they were talking about putting in the ambush. And so we needed to, we need to get going out of there pretty quick. So the team, you know, banished me up the best they could. And we, we started moving out. Well, um, I got medevaced, got me to the first field hospital, and then finally got me to Germany. And I, um, it, it, it took me a couple of weeks to get to Germany, actually, or maybe like a week to get to Germany because uh, trying to stabilize me to fly. And from Germany, they're like, hey, we're, we need to keep your limb attached, you know, for infection reason and whatnot like that. We have wound vacs all over the place. Prevent gangrene, get- stuff like that. Yeah, get me to San Antonio where they can do the proper amputation and whatnot like that because my leg was hanging on by skin. And so got me to San Antonio and um, Dr. Shu, he uh, he came into my room one day, and, well, like shortly after, I don't know, and said, hey, man, we got a, we got a limb salvage surgery. We, we think you're a perfect candidate for, um, but chances of it working are pretty slim. But if you want, I mean, you know, you can sign these papers and we can go ahead because if it does work, um, you're going to, you, you're, you're going to advance uh, limb salvage uh, medical technology. Like this is going to benefit people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you were kind of like you know, a prototype. Uh, I was one of them. I was the more, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if I was the worst, but I was one of the, one of the worst legs that they had come in that they actually were able to, uh, reattach. Wow. I got a shot of you here in the hospital bed. 
Yeah, that's that's one. I got some gnarly photos on there. They're, oh, yeah, they're, you got they're one from, uh, hold on, I, the one from the bottom of the foot here. One second. And that was that's this is real people. I mean, look at that. Well, so that's what the skin graph on. I got I have a few uh, photos that I had posted on my Facebook page that was like a couple weeks after I got hit and it's before they put the skin graphs on. Right. Um, but yeah, they're pretty bloody and everything like that. So I don't know if people want to see that, no, no, but no, no. I'll, I'll keep it. To, <laughs> we'll keep it to some, some of the after, after, uh, floods. I mean, it's still though, even though, even you in a wheelchair, you could see the mm -hmm. amount of obviously scarring and surgical procedures and this crazy bracing that they got you in just to keep everything stable and attached. So, yeah, but yeah, he, he had basically challenged me and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if it'll help somebody out and. So we went through, uh, I went through the limb salvage process and my skin grafts took the first time. Um, that's the skin graft on the bottom of my foot and on my both sides of my leg. And, yeah. um, I was able to grow back like two inches or more of, of, of my tibula. And yeah. then, um, yeah. And, and then next thing I know, I mean, my Sergeant major said, if I can get cleared, um medically cleared he'd send me back to afghanistan and everyone was like oh that was so sweet of you to say that well he didn't realize i was going to take him serious <laughs> and um yeah and i got i got cleared and got the waiver to uh i was medically retired and then i was i fought to stay on active duty through a bunch of waivers and then i was granted those waivers and then i was non-deployable but i proved to uh seventh group um, hey, look, I can do what everyone else can do. And so they gave me a waiver. And um, about 14 months later, I was back in Afghanistan in the most IED part of the country in Panjoy District, Kandahar province. That is so, wild, man. I mean, yeah. usually by that point, people are like, all right, I can retire. But I, again, again <laughs> if, I, if I go back to the earlier part of the book, because that's the only part I'm, I'm through so far, it's like even even earlier in the book, you hint at it's like, you struggled with not being in the action. And, and obviously at the yeah. start of this show, I already can hear it in your voice. You're like, dude, I'm day seven. I'm backstage size. We're recording this tonight. And today was your first day going into town and all that stuff. And you're like, holy crap. Like your mental resilience is about to be retested. It, it sounds like you kind of, you kind of joked around like, Oh, Afghanistan's easy. That's what I'm hearing from you right now. You're like, dude, I went back and with a recovered leg and still went and served. So like, clearly you're like, all right, that's way easier. Uh, obviously, I'm sure Dawn, your wife, would be much happier having you finally here, stateside. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm sure she's is she prepared to, I guess, handle the transition ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got. A, I mean, we've been through. She, I mean, she went through the uh, 2010 blast, and um, and then the whole uh, the miscommunication with whether I was alive or dead or not to my family. That was fun. Um, yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh. I'm just like kind of shocked. I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> oh, my bad. He's good. He just has a major injury, but he's, he's alive. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't dead. He wasn't dead. Yeah. So well, yeah. 2010, there's a, I mean, that was the height of the war when people were getting injured and, and a lot of deaths um actually 2010 has the most kia um out of any year of the war wow but yeah but um then i went back in 2012 
And um, I found I found a lot of IEDs, and we were in a bad area, gotten a lot of gunfights, and it, it's just addicting. And then back in 2016, went back again, and she had to deal with, you know, the whole uh, incident of that I got the Silver Star for, and you don't just get it because you were out handing out backpacks to an Afghan village. Right. And then. Yeah, that was last year finding IEDs in Nangahar. Oh, so you, you couldn't you couldn't just let the IED thing go, could you? You're like, ah, you know, no. let's go, let's go scan for some more. So, yeah, that was in Nangahar, and everybody knows about Nangahar and ISIS. So, oh, yeah. that was bad. Yep, 2017. You're you're in some shit there, man. Yeah, Nangahar Nangahar is no joke. But um. But yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's been a wild ride and it's, it's been a really good time, but, um, she, she is probably, she probably needs to write a book of just the, it would open up so many wives is like, I was actually just thinking that, you know, the, I mean, it's 10 years now, you know, through all, yeah, since then. And I hear a lot about, you know, the significant others, the, the psychological, I guess, fortitude that they have to develop, you know, to get through a lot of this. And unfortunately, some relationships don't last. And I was yeah. say, man, she, she's a hero in her own right of this job in the world. Yeah, there's no jobs. There's no job tougher. No, I'm like, Oh, my God, how, how could she put up with your shit? <laughs> yeah, especially letting someone go back that it basically that it just almost lost his life, right? Yeah. Okay. We <laughs> saved the life. Even saved the leg. I'm like, hey, yeah. baby. So I'm gonna go ahead and go back. How, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I think I sprung it on her more. Like I, I don't have a choice. I have to. And but yeah, she. How did she now, take now, that? Yeah. Now she knows better. <laughs> okay. I was gonna say like that, that. That was a bit of a stretch there, my friend. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. <laughs> That's hero points on her part right there. It's like, okay, yeah, I can see your point. Um, yeah. Well, the, the beauty is like you literally are a, a proven prototype. If you're one of the earliest per- people going through that surgery, because mm-hmm. I mean, prior to this, that level of trauma to an appendage almost always gone. ends up in an amputation. Oh, yeah. There's no questions asked. It was it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so clearly, I, I mean, how many proven – cases like you have been this successful um i i don't have the statistics on that but i do know that uh my doctor has told me i'm still um probably one of the worst limbs he's had come through um you know that he's been able to uh to uh, salvage okay so yeah that's wild are you well you, you... You, you got one heck of a diversified story, my friend. And um, <laughs> if if I could speak in your honor, I would say, listen, if I was hosting an event in the coming, you know, post COVID, whatever the crap we got going on right now, I like, I would, <laughs> I would hire you in a heartbeat to come out and speak because people need to hear not just the amazing, obviously background of, of everything you've gone through, but uh, what, I guess that's why I love books like yours because as soon as I started getting into your book, I'm like, look at this. He's changed literally careers within your profession multiple times. You've served, mm-hmm. is it three different branches of the military now? Right? Yeah. Navy, Air Force, Army. Yep. It's like, well, <laughs> let's, let's build out a whole portfolio. You know, just 
hit them all the way around, you know, cover the cover as many bases as I can. Um, <laughs> but I, it's, it's, but there, that's just one thing you could speak on, but, and, and I will tell you, like, honestly, please consider if those haven't been offered to you yet. Uh, obviously that's one of the biggest things I've seen professionally in the business world now is, um, that's a natural next step for uh, an author who has written a powerful book like this is that, you know, be ready to expand your speaking career. And I, and I think it would be very beneficial to you and Dawn. And it sounds like, heck, I would have her up on stage right next to me <laughs> because I think her voice is just as powerful uh, just with the, what, what you guys have gone through. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully she does. Uh, if you can convince her to write a book. Uh, yeah, here's a hack for you. I didn't write my book. <laughs> I hate writing. <laughs> so yeah. I, I downloaded an app called Otter, like the animal.ai. So while yeah. I was traveling, I would just turn it on on my iPhone and start speaking the chapter and recording it. And then it nice. transcribes it into a text file and you can export it like into a Word document. So I just took all of those files and just sent them to my editor. And that's what she and I have been doing for the past month and a half is making sense out of all of it, restructuring them, putting the power. You know, that's what we've been doing. And I was like, I wish I would have done this a year ago. I, I wrote the book a year I... ago. Yeah, I kind of feel stupid right now. <laughs> no, no, listen, I'm just saying, like, I'm like you. I was like, I don't have the time to sit down and write. Like, the fact that you were able to keyboard thing, I mean, and I'm pretty tech savvy. I was like, no, no. But because I travel so much, I was like, all right, I, let me just voice transcribe this, get the thoughts out, speak in. And I'll warn you, it's clunky. I mean, it's pretty advanced tech in an, on a nice iPhone app, but it's not perfect. So that's where you need the yeah. And if you, if you already had, if you had, you had an editor too. So it's like, well then shit. I was like, I'll, if I end up writing another book or I should say speaking another book, I'm going to do the same thing again. Like I don't, I'm not a writer. So uh, man now. Yeah. Now I, that would be, a, that, that would be a lot easier. Cause I, I mean, I'm not trying to brag about myself, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm probably the fastest two finger typer. Um, <laughs> probably. Okay, I actually know home row and can do all that, and I still didn't want to do that. <laughs> so, but the reason why I'm sharing this is because you have other, you have other connections, and if there, I'm sure you know other people that have stories that need to be told. And this is what yeah. my, my editor told me. She's like Scott, get. She's like shit or get off the pot. She's like, I know you're. You've got your own roadblocks up, and you're holding yourself back, even though you you help other people not hold themselves back. But she's like, you're doing it to yourself right now. She's like. <laughs> somebody will benefit from your story. Somebody yeah. will benefit from your book. So she's like, I can't wait for it to come out. Thank you. I mean, that's why it's just like, just like you, it's like, I'm sure your editor told you the same thing. Like people could benefit from this story. So if you don't yep. put it out there, you're actually being selfish. And when she told me that, I was like, oh man, all right, let's do it. <laughs> that must be an editor thing. Cause yeah, they said the same thing to me is like, who, who do you think you are holding this story back from people? Right. As like, uh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> well, the biggest thing is, I'm sure you've heard the term imposter syndrome. We're all going to be guilty of it. We're, if it's a fear or whatever it is, but like, oh man, I, what you know, your word. For some reason, though, we don't care what other people think. Technically, we do a little bit, and then you're wor you're actually holding yourself back. It's like, oh well, who am I to write a book? Who am I to possibly get up on stage one day and speak about this? But like, like that's our own shit. Like we just have to. It's just. It's our own roadblocks we're putting up, our own prisons, there you go, full circle, that we're putting yeah. ourselves into. And we just got to put in the reps and pull ourselves out of that prison. And, you know, hey, if I get through to five people, hell, one person, it's already worth it, right? One that's, person benefits from your book, it's worth it. That's been my mindset with my book 
once I, I mean, because books, you're not going to make money writing a book. And so that's been my mindset is if I get through to one person, um, then the book's a success. And I could say right now from, uh, three very, very detailed emails I got, the book's a success three times over because it saved, saved three people. And I'm like, you know what? So you, you give me uh, chills. I'm actually get the goosebumps just hearing that shit. So I was like, yeah, yeah. all right. I like that. So, and, and that's, yep. that's why I'm doing it. I mean, like when the book is done, unless she convinces me to change the title, it's going to be called. So you want to be a hot shot because mm-hmm. what I was trying to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Out, I like that. I, I, I found a hot shot cruise, like U S forest service page and the superintendent wrote that as the title. And I can't find it anymore. This is you know 10 years ago, but then yeah. he, he went into very, you could, I don't know if he was former military or what, but he, he basically listed every god awful thing that the job would entail. And at the, right? He's just like, oh, so you want to be a hotshot? FYI, you're going to go through all this shit. Yeah. And then, and then it's going to be a little more of that shit. 16 hours a day. And sometimes we're going to work all night long. You might go a 24 hour shift. You know, it's rare, but it's going to happen. But it's like, okay, yeah. if you read all of this and you still want to talk to us, Here's our contact information. <laughs> so it's always stuck in my head. And then when I started thinking, it's like, dude, I should just title the book that. Because that's, that's yeah. the mental game right there. And, I think it's awesome. <laughs> no, thank, thank you. I, I'm honored because I was like, I'm actually getting excited because we're this far. We, I only have two chapters left to edit. And, yeah. and then she's going to put it all together. And then I have to read it all the way through. I'm like, so we're right towards that end, I think. Does that sound like I'm towards the end? You, you've already finished your book. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, because I, I yeah, want it out I, before the end of the year, so if I could do a holiday push and and, and give back before the end of the year, that'd be great. So, because like you like you and I said, we're not going to become rich off of books, but if no. we can help people, great. And that's why I decided, yep. like, all right, I'm I'm literally going to self publish on Amazon, so I don't spend any money, and then I'm going to donate 100 percent of the proceeds to nonprofit because that's why I started my foundation last year. I'm like, great, those funds can go into the foundation, and then I can then pick and choose firefighting. Uh, charities or, or efforts and give, uh, you know, hopefully forever. Yeah. So that's awesome. Right. Yeah. So. I, I'm, I'm excited for you. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, like, I, I never cared about what anybody thought until I wrote this book and I realized I actually do care about what people think. So you are correct on that. I never thought I did, well, but apparently do, do, I do. Do, do you so. ever follow Joe Rogan? I do. Okay. Yeah. Funny ass guy, but let me tell you, the one of the biggest tips, and as a business guy nowadays, I, I agree with. Don't read your comments. Like 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 like, t- like today's show, when this comes out, I'm actually excited to see if you get any haters out of our whole PTSD debate. Uh, because oh my I, God. everything everything <laughs> you and I everything you and I discuss, and I think you did a great job, you know, counterbalancing your points. And I think we're I think we're yeah. fine. But every once in a while, some people don't listen all the way through or they don't read all the way through. And you're always going to get those people who just take snippets and just say something. And the biggest thing Joe Rogan says is like, dude, I never go back and look at what anybody has said on any tweet or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, whatever. He's like, I put my shit out there and I move on. <laughs> so so that's, that, that's, one, that's one of his best tips that I can share with you is that now obviously read the, read the good things, you know, but he's like, yeah. you know, there's always going to be a negative Nancy. There's always going to be a hater. Um, that's somebody who hasn't, pulled themselves out of their own prison and yep. needs to work on their shit. So, yeah. yeah. So you're, I, I think you'll be fine. So, uh, or, or I'll be happy. Uh, you can send me a couple comments and I'll be, I'll be happy to re- respond for you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. 
pull your head out of your ass and move on, bro. Stop, stop hating on people. So, yeah. Uh, well, listen, I want to get you back to your, to your amazing wife. So I do ask my guest co-host to just help close out the show. So, and it's really, really simple because you've gone through so much. I just ask, Hey, is there an all encompassing message you want to leave behind a lesson, a, a total lesson learned in the past year? I'm now calling it a, kind of like a legacy message. And obviously your book mm -hmm. tip of the spear is a legacy message in itself, but is there something that you want to kind of sum it up with tonight? Yeah, I think, I, I think kind of going back over what we talked about is my, my biggest message that I have is remember, um, victimization and choosing to be um, a victim of circumstances is uh, again, I just said it, it's a choice. You don't have, you don't have to live that way. You can control um, the way you, the way you think and the way things affect you. Um, and definitely it is, it is a prison, but it, again, it's the only prison in the world that you can willfully leave whenever you're ready to. Um, but I highly, I highly recommend, you know, don't, don't fall into that, don't fall into that mindset, into that pit, into that trap of victimization, because you don't have to, but it's very hard to get out of once you're in. So well said. that's really, it's really it. I, I'm writing this all down because I'm going to put together a really good title for this episode when we air it out. And I'm nice. probably going to have <laughs> victimization and entitlement in the title. <laughs> So, yeah, because it sounds like you and I are vibing on that. So, well, listen, yep. Hank, I want to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the man, Ryan Hendrickson. So, again, if you're a true Fuel fan of this show, please, even if you don't have, if you're struggling financially with, with COVID and everything else going on here in 2020, I respect it. I honor it. Uh, at least share it. Uh, if you heard this show tonight and it's live on the Live the Fuel uh, page on Facebook, please share the message. Uh, there's somebody out there that could benefit from not just this podcast, but obviously uh, his book, his message, he's moving on to the world. Again, if you want to follow him, uh, he's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Instagram is actually the at sign is tip of the spear, RMH. And then obviously mm -hmm. he's on Facebook. And then if you just want to like keep it nice and general and simple, just go to his his main like blog homepage, which is ryanmhendrickson.com. Everything about the book there. Uh, I hinted at it earlier. If you use the Amazon banner on the Live the Fuel page, it'll take you right to my influencer page, and there's book recommendations there. His book is now listed in there with every other amazing author we've had on the show. So, ladies and gentlemen, remember, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. Ryan definitely helped us do that today, so please support him and every other amazing author we have had out there. And remember, you too can live the fuel. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.